0: This week on Trek Mary Kill. Illyrians, Objections. Chris. Next Trek Mary Kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kristen. Welcome to Trek Mary Kill, a podcast that puts every episode of Star Trek on trial. And this week we're putting on trial an episode that features a trial. It's at Astra per Aspera. It debuted on Paramount Plus June 22nd, 2023. It's the second episode of Strange New World's second season. It was written by Dana Horgan and directed by Valerie Weiss. Memory Alpha Synopsis. Commander Una faces court-martial along with possible imprisonment and dishonorable dismissal from Starfleet, and her defense is in the hands of a lawyer who's also a childhood friend with whom she had a terrible falling out. Uh, this episode's resolving the cliffhanger at the end of last season, uh, where Commander Una Chin Riley, aka Number One, is arrested after Starfleet discovers that <gasps> she's been modded up, baby. She's had her DNA played with. She's uh, she's an Illyrian race of people that's part of their cultural heritage. Engages in genetic modification. It's a big no-no on planet Earth because of everything that happened with Khan and the you know old Star Trek shit. But it ba- basically, it's a courtroom drama. Uh, yeah. I don't know how you feel about courtroom dramas. I think they can be good. Yeah, this is, a, this is a courtroom procedural. And it kicks off our first themed month. The trials of season two was my thinking. We're in our second season. We're looking at a lot of season two episodes from across the Star Trek universe. There are trial episodes throughout every season of every other show. But in season two is, is most of the time where you'll see it kick in, where they do one, uh, you know, with maybe the exception of Star Trek Discovery and Lower Decks, they didn't have theirs and, and like specific ones in their second season. But like literally even the animated series, uh, the original animated series, the 50 year old one, that had a trial episode in it too. So it's a thing that Star Trek does. And obviously this episode, I guess it would be kind to say borrowed from, but let's just say was driven directly by is measure of a man. Mm-hmm. From the next generation second season, why aren't we doing that episode, Kristen? Well, it feels like it should be pretty obvious. It's like it's, it's an amazing episode, yeah. and everyone should go watch it after they listen to this podcast. You should mm-hmm. Go watch Measure of a Man. Uh, also, it does borrow generously in in sort of the procedure of the the hearing and just kind of the general ideas is also kind of close to court martial from season one of the original series, but. um Oh, one more point about Measure of a Man. We Remember when we recapped the viewer's choice top five? Mm-hmm. That was not one of the episodes. Yeah, on, yeah, I recall. Ones, <laughs> a, a real head scratcher. On the night that the All Good Things, the series finale airs, they did the viewer's choice top five, and it was, you know, quick recount. Best of Both Worlds, parts one and two. Okay, so you're taking up two spots with the two-parter, fine. It's the Borg one. It's a pretty important one. Then you got your inner light. Okay, that's generally people like that one a lot. Uh, Picard lives another lifetime. Uh, And then you've got Yesterday's Enterprise. Mm -hmm. Amazing episode. Fantastic. No doubter. Quentin Tarantino remarked, that should have been the Star Trek movie. Why did they use it on an episode? Like, well, Quentin Tarantino making TV is very hard. Sometimes you just got to take the best idea and go for it. And then probably a vote that, that voters wishes they could take back. Fifth best relics the one with scotty yeah i don't
1: mind that episode i don't know if i would have put it in my top five but maybe in 1994 i would have
0: i think it's kind of generally considered that measure of a man is a top five episode of the next generation Mm -hmm. now i think that episode has only grown in estimation it was written by an actual lawyer melinda snodgrass it has a lot of interesting issues in it you know obviously patrick stewart giving a great performance in there too it's about a character we really care about but let's talk about this one because we're that's a mary the measure of a man is a mary that should be clear mm-hmm. now is at astra peresbara one we'll find out in a moment when we do our show <laughs> uh but i, I want to point out that in this one we've got uh, basically like a, a johnny cochran character uh a civil rights advocate mm-hmm. in nira katool who's played by Yatita Badaki, who grew up a Star Trek fan. And she said she had a big crush on Data and Picard growing up. And That's obviously,
1: she freaking wild, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> of, every, of all the characters, okay.
0: Yeah, b- big next-gen fan, and then it was Data and Picard. And obviously, Guinan. That was the thing, like, we're in the future. Which was Guinan's wow. whole point, why Guin- uh, Whoopi Goldberg loves Star Trek, was seeing Nichelle Nichols and saying, hey, we're going to be in the future. That's great. So yeah. she... Passed it right down. And by the way, just if you're if you're thinking that maybe Yatita Badaki said this as part of like just the press for this episode. I will say that there is video going back six years where she's talking about Star Trek Next Generation and the Data and Picard crush. So she is a bonafide Star Trek fan. Great. Okay. Then she gets to be on the show. That's very cool. Yes, it is very cool. Courtroom stuff. I mean, one of my earlier industry experiences was working on Boston Legal, which I know I've mentioned many times, unfortunately. But obviously, uh, that is a courtroom show. So doing the courtroom procedurals—that's it—is kind of it's its own genre, of course. But also, I would argue that for television's sake, you're in the realm of if you're doing courtroom stuff, you know, David E. Kelly, and I guess maybe even Aaron Sorkin. They've got kind of a a stranglehold on the imagination of television writers doing it. So it gets very tricky when you're aping a a format that you're, you're losing track of the story you're trying to tell. So I guess I'm just generally pointing out that we're doing a bunch of courtroom episodes. I think it's going to be very interesting to explore how Star Trek has maybe either conformed to the television tropes of, of, trials Uh, or kind of gone their own way. And I feel like with Star Trek, though, kind of the promise of the premise is that they could do their own thing, like their own weird rules because it's alien cultures. Uh, But not in this one. This one is just plain straight up the middle human legal wrangling. Yeah. And then last couple of general thoughts about the episode. Number one, her name is Una Chin Riley. It's spoken 22 times by itself in this episode. (laughs) I had to go back and start counting it because it was just said too many times and I need to know. Uh, they probably say it six or so more times when it's her full name. Lieutenant Commander Una Chin Riley. Una, Like, there's a lot of that going on. Mm-hmm. Um, we get three Chrises, four Niras. A lot of first names in this episode. Yeah. Uh, Starfleet officers call what they do a job four times. Job, it's my job. This is a hard job. And look, it's a courtroom episode, so because of that, we expect certain things. Objection. Order. This is highly irregular. I'll allow it. Yeah. Sustain. <laughs> Counselor, you're on thin ice. Yeah. Where are you going with this? Are you arriving at a point soon? Mm-hmm. Uh, all that said, I do think that they went, they hit it a little too hard with the, I will remind you you're under oath. They say it four times in this episode. I think that's too much. in an hour, we don't need it that many times. And then I feel like this case, the trial itself. So Una has lied about her identity. She's part of a uh, a race, and literally an alien race that their culture modifies their genetics. Federation law prohibits genetic modification to like improve yourself. If it's I think they're like, if you're trying to like heal a sick person, it's basically you're born as you are. And then we have all these tools, this technology, this community to help you better yourself. That's the concept of, I guess, Star Trek or the Federation, right? And so the idea that you would sort of use technology instead to hijack your your biology and, and make yourself better that way, because of what's happened with eugenics wars, which the show doesn't tie together that... I think the party line now is that the eugenics wars led to Star Trek's world war three. So like those two things uh-huh. are combined together. Um, and basically it's like, because this has been used in our past to do terrible things, we just have banned it. And obviously yep. we see all the way through DS nine that that ban continues, but I still think all that said this case kind of uh flim- is not flimsy, but there's two key points legally that the, that the script kind of dodges, which is, an actual tangible medical examination to verify everything that's being said, right? <laughs> there's no record that she has Illyrian DNA. Yeah. It's never mentioned. It's never like you falsify. How did you falsify your medical records? Are there doctors who helped you conspire? You know what I mean? Like none of that's discussed or dealt with. Yeah. Or there's plain. no like
1: blood tests or anything.
0: Then after Nira roasts, Admiral April on the stand and gets him to break his composure. She turns to the panel and she says, My client did not ask to be genetically modified. It is an Illyrian cultural practice done to children before they are even born. So that statement alone would seem to call in a question or ex- compel us to examine what's going on here a little differently, I feel like. And it just, those two key points are either not dealt with in the former case and then the latter case mentioned, and then we just allied. We just glide right past that and don't really deal with that. But Una not being responsible for what happens to her as a child would seem to be a key factor in what's going on. Yeah. But then I guess there's no drama. Although, (laughs) I don't know that I agree with that. I think there is a lot of drama that they shortcutted, they genetically modified in their own way to get to melodrama. And I don't know what the cause of that was. So I guess we'll get into that. So, but before we get to the grades, some specifics about the making of this episode, Ad Astra per Aspera means to the stars through hardship. It was a motto of Starfleet before the Federation, but in real life, it's the motto of the Royal Air Force. It was a personal motto of Julie Payette. Uh, Actually, that's a French Canadian name. So it's probably Julie Payette a uh, former astronaut who is the 29th governor general of Canada. Not only does this episode borrow heavily from measure of a man in court Martial*, it does also touch upon Dr. Bashir. I presume from DS 9s fifth season. I, I mentioned that just a minute ago. Um, and in that one, Dr. Bashir is being modeled for a new long-term medical hologram. In the course of doing background, Starfleet discovers that back Dr. Bashir was genetically modified as a small child. So again, in the 24th century, still a big. No, no. This episode was directed by Valerie Weiss, who in real life, Kristen, is actually Dr. Valerie mm-hmm. Weiss. She majored in molecular biology at Princeton and received a PhD in biological chemistry and molecular pharmacology at Harvard before switching to a career in television directing. She's done a lot of television. She also has, I think, three features and some shorts under her belt.
1: Imagine getting a whole PhD in bio- biological chemistry and molecular pharmacology and being like, you no. Know,
0: I want to direct television. <laughs> so wild. So there's an interview on trekmovie.com that they did during a, a couple months ago. And it was with the director, producing director, Chris Fisher, I believe. And we talked about him a little bit, kind of negatively, in, in our season premiere episode of Strange New Worlds. Which he concurred with my assessment that it was a little overwrought the direction by the way uh not talking to me but just saying like i could have done better i think i'd you know whatever brian you're that, right <laughs> yes <laughs> he said whoever that asshole is he was right but in that one he explained the process for how they do their episodes which i will definitely be talking about at length in future trek mary kills on strange worlds episodes but in just to generally touch on it based on dr valerie weiss here they approach their uh, production or making Strange New Worlds more like these are short films. And so the directors have a lot of say in the direction of each episode. Ah, Again, I'm going to revisit that notion later on. <laughs> this is a Writer's Guild of America household, the DGA. Anyway, my point is this. It's a little strange, given what I said. Like, how come they don't even bring up the biology aspect of it? That you've got a biologist here who, like, you know, in the development of the script, doesn't even come up. So it's not a criticism. I just was pointing out. I was like, oh, interesting. So obviously, it's very clear that they want to stick with the um, the human emotion of all this and making this feel as grounded as possible. But I guess grounded in twenty twenty three human reality as opposed to the reality the show takes place in Uh, while on the stand spock mentions meeting number one for the first time and discovering her love for gilbert and sullivan as depicted in the short treks episode q a it's the very first uh short treks that they did those are technically considered canon i'm just telling everyone right now that trek mary kill is not we're not doing those those are yeah it is revealed that four months have passed between by, the events. By the of way, G- it is that's a weird character trait that to be into Gilbert and Sullivan.
1: In the year what, in the, like what it was twenty third century?
0: Yeah, but this is also like a Star Trek tradition where characters are into Gilbert and Sullivan.
1: Okay, well, all right. Like you couldn't come <laughs> up with anything more more modern. I mean, yeah. I agree with you.
0: <laughs> in okay. Insurrection, when Picard, You can't is getting get in... enough
1: of the Pirates of
0: Penzance. <laughs> in um, Star Trek: Insurrection, when Picard has Worf sing Gilbert and Sullivan so that they can jog Data's memory while they're trying to, like, you know, disarm him, I, the whole time in the theater, I'm groaning. I'm like, this is cringe as shit. For one thing, but two, does it have to be Gilbert and Sullivan? Like that's so so ancient, even by our standards now. Yeah, Uh, because a lot has
1: (laughs) happened in musical theater since. And guess I I just had to look it up because I'm like I was pretty sure sure this most of these took place before 1900. These they were mostly doing plays and musicals in like the 1870s. God, (laughs) which means so like one thing about me is that my grandfather was born in 1890 meaning he was too too young to have seen any of this shit and (laughs) that means it's that's like my line for anything like how old is it if it's older than my grandfather it's very very old
0: your grandfather who i was born in 1890 correct wow
1: yes he was 60 years old when my dad was born
0: Any uh, key story that you that has been passed down that you either heard directly or. Oh, my gosh, there's so much.
1: Um, Well, he fought in World War
0: One. Wow.
1: Um, Was any like he's from he was from Chicago and he was like the biggest guy in town because he was six foot one, which back then was big. There's so many stories that like I'm pretty sure not not all of them are true. But some of them are true, and I actually have like traced some of them. He chased Pancho Villa down into Mexico, and he was in the U.S. Cavalry, so that was kind of crazy. What? Never found him, but yeah, he's part of the group that did that. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, he became a silver miner for a while. He was a bootlegger. He was um, one of his jobs was um, I think it was during the Great Depression. He worked for the Chicago Machine, which is like the Democratic party, basically ran everything. His job was to take all the city hall paychecks down to the racetrack. And he made a ton of money doing that. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah. And when he was in World War One, I, he was, so he was actually old for World War One. so he was and he was already in the military. So he was 28. It's pretty, like, kind of old-ish. So he wasn't in the trenches. He was back in the artillery. There was some kerfuffle where, like, some of the enlisted men had stolen all the cigarette rations or something and like all the other soldiers were going to kill these guys and so they had to hire my grandfather to protect them because he was the biggest meanest guy and had like seniority yeah and he also claims and i don't know like i i can actually see this being part this being true he was hired to protect some of the um uh, scientists during the Manhattan Project who were working at the University of Chicago, like That's to drive fun. him to to drive him to restaurants, and he didn't know what the hell it was going on. They're like, yeah, just take him around, you know, like just you know, take him to a rest. Like he had to take him to like a restaurant or something to eat, and like just make sure no one bothered them. He's like, who the fuck's gonna bother these guys? But whatever. <laughs> and he was really he was like fifty when he was doing that. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. so I don't know. Yeah there's more stuff and i by the way i was telling someone at work the some stories and he just like honest to god looks me and goes oh my god do you think he killed anybody i'm like yes obviously (laughs) like how do you get involved in that many military conflicts and not kill anybody like even (laughs) accidentally like he was in the artillery my man like what do you
0: <laughs>
1: you're like yes. several people yes yeah i mean he doesn't like a, probably doesn't know how many but like
0: yeah probably how long did he
1: live until uh 1969 okay all right so he right. died so he's born before the first airplane took off and um died right before the moon landing wow yeah wild so even he didn't like gilbert sullivan okay <laughs>
0: Like, no freaking way. (laughs) It is an affectation, it feels like, of, like, East Coast privileged people. Like, it's a thing, like, it's a little weird quirk that they like it or something.
1: I don't think they were considered highbrow when they were coming out
0: with stuff. Sure, but not all Shakespeare was either, right? So I mean, it's like tiny.
1: well, well like, eh, Shakespeare played
0: for the for the queen, so um, true,
1: wrote true. stuff for the queen. So I think yes, um, but not. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd have to read more about it.
0: But the, that's a very dated. They couldn't come. They should have come up with something else. You know, you talked about your grandfather's age and all that stuff mm-hmm. uh, i do want to point out that i did notice on your socials that you seem to be benjamin buttoning oh yes i am yeah that must have been a, a real feather in your cap
1: yes to be my dermatologist I'm... says i'm aging in reverse <laughs> i mean gravity will my skin specifically gravity will get me it gets everybody but the skin quality itself the Just... actual
0: wrinkles on my face are going away just without blemishes, but blemish free. What, what's your secret? Drop the skincare. <laughs> oh my God.
1: Um, you need to, okay. T- don't do any of the stupid, um, over the counter creams and TikTok trends and all that stuff. Just go to your dermatologist and get some retin-A and you have to run it, wear sunscreen. And also, um, some preventative Botox doesn't help hurt either.
0: What about just like, washing your face um (laughs) you know uh that
1: that's part of a good
0: skincare regime (laughs) i gotta look into that yeah (laughs) well congratulations i mean thank uh, you yeah first of all having an an amazing and interesting lineage and uh and also (laughs) for being somewhat ageless here
1: but like no like gravity is already starting to get me but um that's okay Gravity comes for us all when it comes to our face. (laughs) Uh,
0: It's revealed that four months have passed between the events of Ghosts of Illyria* and Equality of Mercy. I find it's really interesting, the timeline. Yeah, and two months have passed since the events of Equality of Mercy, suggesting that season one of Strange New Worlds more or less ran in real time. Like it ran, the real season one ran from May 5th to July 7th. And they're kind of saying like, that basically is like four months and like we're picking up like maybe a month after season one ended a month yeah. or two after.
1: This is sort of what they used to do with your regular series dramas that would go 20, you know, to 25 episodes. There would be a summer break and then you pick up and then it's like all the holidays are in real time. Um, so it's really interesting that they do it that way.
0: I mean, I think we're full on in silly season, but we talked about this in the season <laughs> premiere episode where they're like, Pike's going to take a personal day and like <clears throat> traverse the galaxy in in like in an, an evening and and they're basically <laughs> applying that same. So in this strange new world, Star Trek, they have clearly said space is not that big. It's like a long yeah. it's like driving across L.A., And like, that's it. I mean, that's what this is canonizing is that it's all funny money. And I don't know, it makes it, it's just one of those things where it's like, you just have to go with it because we're not taking it seriously. So you should neither. Fine. I, cause I guess it kind of steps on the whole idea of like Captain Pike has sat on this secret for four months. Yeah. When they
1: reveal that, I was like, that's not even that long. And then like, then she turned herself in essentially. Yeah. Not too, not
0: too long after that. So what? I mean, give it a, give it a rest. Also, he's the captain of the flagship. He has other responsibilities. There's other, like the, the reason why the time thing, which we've pointed out so many times, how stupid it is that they do time this way, how it, it intervenes in their own drama. It's like, in the old style of doing of telling stories about space time, where you're traveling the galaxy, <laughs> like he uh-huh. just he hadn't had time to report it is like a perfectly valid thing here. But now they're holding him to the same standards of like an HR review, which this episode very clearly is sort of suggesting that this is nothing more than is some sort of complicated HR review, and it's all just kind of silly. But yeah. I just want to point that out. The timeline, and, and also right. they should have been like, well, look, we had
1: a nebula named Deborah, and that we lost some time there. Okay.
0: <laughs> That's right. We encountered, uh, we encountered John Carpenter's, the thing and, and <laughs> James Cameron's aliens and a whole tr- bunch of sci-fi We'd tropes. been yes. through it. <laughs> the entire right. crew had a vitamin D deficiency.
1: <laughs> That's right. We lost time there. Yep. So when, pray tell, was I supposed to report this? Yeah. You know, uh, burning, died? Uh, Remember Hemmer? He died. Yeah, <laughs> so, he died.
0: We aren't allowed to grieve. Uh, and then I guess my final last little note about this episode is the it just was a question. So Captain Patel's a lawyer now.
1: <laughs> <So> yeah. <laughs> interesting. Was that mentioned ever before?
0: No, it just felt like, well, in Measure of a Man, they were Captain McCards being a lawyer. It's like, it's like knowing the tune, but none of the lyrics. And it's like, yeah, but there was an explanation for all that. (laughs) So like
1: in like you have your JAG officers, they don't also pilot the the boats in the Navy, right? right? I mean, (laughs) yes, I mean, they're an an officer in name, but like,
0: yes. I mean, listen, they were definitely trying to do their version of measure of a man measure of a man went out of its way to do the setup of like, how could we get Captain Picard advocating for data in like a Starfleet formal setting? And they were basically like, this is a new starbase. Our literally our lawyers haven't shown up yet. Like we're still staffing yeah. and this thing has to happen now. So this is the, the these are the contingencies for a situation like this. And it it was fine. Like, they created a reality. But here it's just like, oh, we can create some, we can shortcut some drama because Captain Patel is important for that relationship between Pike and Patel is something we want to explore this season. Let's just put them together and that will create conflict for us. The grades will determine whether or not (laughs) that actually works. So Mm -hmm. let's get into it. Okay. (laughs) With, With some great scenes. Alright,
1: so the first one for me is when um, Ortegas and Mabanga are sitting and watching Spock and the Vulcan Vice Admiral, his name I can't ever remember, assault. talking, okay, and she's just fucking roasting them like what they might <laughs> be talking about. She is reading them for filth but is like, I don't think they like each other at all. And it turns out they don't. And then Spock is like, I'm so sorry you had to witness the outburst. But there was no outburst, of course.
0: Right. Just- <laughs> Out of all my father's colleagues. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that is my first great scene as well. Okay. That was a legit, <laughs> legit great scene. But uh, By the way, folks, if you're only listening to us, it's, it comes very deep into the episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's- I'm
1: sorry. Yeah. It's not at the top. It's yeah. You got to wait a while. My page was blank for quite some time on this one. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. So since that was both our first one, that's fortuitous. Uh, The my next two scenes really are just. Nira puts Una on the stand and we get our list of rips of insults. Remember, we tried to figure out what when uh, Laon was like augment monster. It's like, Mm -hmm. what, what do they call? I thought it was like cheat code or something like what could they call them? We get the list. Augment, oh, Madi, yeah. Maudie, freak, Madi's a good one. Why did not we think of that? Oh, I yeah, I I have other thoughts about Madi, but um,
1: Madi, Madi, yeah.
0: we like to party. Actually,
1: have a great scene before that. Oh, when Nira, okay. when Nira bring, when Nira is reading off all the times that Admiral April broke the Prime Directive, <laughs> just like and then what about this? What about that? What about this? What about the time you did this? And I was like, yeah. Tell him.
0: Yeah, I mean I i liked the concept of the scene for me, but the, I didn't put it great because I'm like, it's it seemed pretty straightforward, but you're right. It's great. And also it's just like, why is that Admiral April and not Captain Pike? Well, Anson Mount had a baby.
1: Yeah.
0: And so There's, the yeah, very much is writing yeah. around him. <laughs> so. Yeah, and
1: I mean, but it's just like If you took any Star Trek character, I think, main character, and you're like, what about this? Out of context, they all seem like war criminals, right? Like if they were on trial and you were like, well, this time you did that. What about that? What about this? And you'd be like, ooh.
0: Yeah. But I was almost going to put that as a best Trek trope is just breaking the prime directive because it's because we always can understand or, yeah, when it's our heroes, why they're doing it. And I liked it being recontextualized. Or not even recontextualized, just contextualized in this circumstance. I thought it was it was really great. It really does set up sort of what the ending is, that a captain has broad discre- discretion and what they can do to, you know, save lives. And I thought that was great. But the Nira uh, putting Una on the stand and we get all the, the list of the names. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also you know, Una confesses that she turned herself in. Um, but then we just get, uh, the whole story about how Illyrians had to like blend in, and, you know, the, part of the reason why this episode actually resonated with people is, is like a lot of people are calling this like the best Star Trek episode of the century and and all um, is like a lot of century, uh, <laughs> the one we're currently in. But there is a lot of oh. like. People identified with sort of the message, you know, there's, it was queer coded, but also it was like religious coded. Like, and I think that's what, where Star Trek does work really well. And so Una's story is very specific, but also it has the universal appeal of trying to hide your identity and you're being persecuted. And, and I just thought it was, it was a nice scene, but also um, the apology that closes her arc with, with her and Nira where she's explaining what she went through Uh and then she ran away and she left everyone behind and she apologizes for that.
1: Um, I also put La'an and Nira's scene where they're talking about like her family history when La'an thinks it was like maybe her who gave it away or whatever through her personal log. Um, And then also Nira's speech about asylum, which I think that has more to do with hot button issues right now than because Seeking asylum is kind of a thing right now that a lot of people don't think some people who are seeking asylum are legitimate Um, and other people do. And it's ripped from the headlines. So I think that was a good scene.
0: I totally agree. I think that my third scene was Nira exposes the loophole, the asylum Mm -hmm. loophole. But I think is this now I'm already confused. It, does Una's story about why she chose to join Starfleet is that an, in that scene is that the header to the loophole reveal or is it the end of the previous segment where oh, they're talking know. about? Well, so Una says when I was five or six, some star you know a starship visited, and I saw mm-hmm. the crew, and it made me go wow, and I was so touched by that moment. I thought it was so great, and you know why Star Trek so awesome. Between that story, Una's story, and actually the, the story of her childhood, all that stuff is really great. But then the loophole part of it, again, for like you said, the asylum is such a hot button issue. But also what's on top of that, layered on top of it, which is why I'm not sure I want to say the episode is brilliant for doing this. Because I'm not sure, given all the things they actively chose, that this was a conscious decision. But what was not said, but clearly being telegraphed by Nira was... I am going to tell you people who feel constrained by the law, what law you can use to ease your conscience.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You, you, you monsters who, who seem to mean well, but do terrible things in the name of the law, right? That's, that's also ripped from the headlines. So here I'm going to ease your conscience. Did you idiots? know? like even the Vulcan, even even Basalk yeah. looks happy that she found this for them to navigate through this situation. So I thought I I didn't think that that part was beautiful like like Una's story, but it was it, it justified why this story has to bring in an outside character to offload the conflict onto to handle it for them because that is what her character is doing and and mm-hmm. I thought it was a nice presentation of of you know Starfleet helps a lot save a lot of people but you have this one rule that limits that and then here's your loophole around that it was clever it's not measure of a man. It's not, you know, court martial is like the bad version where it's like, ah, ha ha ha. They're setting up captain Kirk and measure of a man. It was just literally Picard having people confront their feelings. Like he's got Mm -hmm. Maddox on the stand. (laughs) He's like, look at data. What is he, you know, what is, what are the terms of a person? Oh, well data qualifies all those terms. And then he, he delivers the body blow. He goes, Starfleet's mission is to seek out new life. Well, there it sits. You know what I mean? Like it just causes everyone to confront it. And that's what Nira is doing here, but she's doing it in sort of like a very modern, ah, here's the, here's the wording I needed to get out of this situation. When my conscience, when I constrain my conscience with the law and, um, I don't know, is that beautiful? No, but it was great. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I thought a lot of this episode was kind of trite and obvious, but I I do think those three scenes and even the parts of the April scene you pointed out were pretty, were pretty great. Best Trek tropes? Ready to move on? Yeah. Um, A trial. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. So Valerie Weiss, Dr. Weiss, was, was when she was interviewed about this episode because remember the DGA wasn't on strike, so she could be interviewed about this episode. And yeah. she was like, "Yes, I was. I was taken into a room, and it was explained very much to me that uh, courtroom episodes are a very important and crucial subgenre of Star Trek. Uh, I like when I just like that Starfleet headquarters is in San Francisco."
1: Yeah, it's nice that you could. It's still there. San Francisco's yeah. still there. I was like it when right. California is still there in Star Trek. So yes,
0: I had two more Vulcans being assholes. Oh uh, yeah, with Pasalk. P- P- I
1: yeah, I put evil
0: admiral slash vice admiral trope. Yeah. Uh, reusing sets. In this case, the courtroom. Mm. The courtroom that they use is the 32nd century Federation headquarters in Star Trek discovery. I put that under best Trek tropes because it's like good to see that happening. It feels like the, the new generation of Star Trek shows forgot that you could do that and Uh people will deal with it. Um, And so it was nice. Although that sets so weird to me, you build a hole in the middle of it, but you have no, uh, it can't be modded so that you can like put a plank in the middle or, you know, a platform in the middle you can't, it's not modular in any way. So it's just kind of a weird set design, but you know, uh, I was nice to see it recycled. Uh, we have a eugenics
1: war mention. And of course they bring up the prime directive slash general order one a lot. Yeah. And then of course they bring up con. So that's, I always like that.
0: Those are all good. Worst Trek tropes. What do you have? Pike is
1: cooking again. Okay. <laughs> He's in an apron. And he's chopping carrots, and I don't know what he's making, but those carrots have not been peeled. So I hope it's some kind of stock where he's going to be, you know, dra- you know, putting everything through a fine mesh sieve or something, or some cheesecloth to get all that dirt out of there.
0: Yeah, I mean, we basically could just have a list of of. These burgeoning strange new worlds tropes, that's a good one for sure. I mentioned, you know, calling it a job and everyone saying their first names, which is like a, whether they know it or not, it's sort of a 180 rebellion on the Rick Berman era shows where everyone was saying their titles and sirs. Like, and it was just like uh. every sentence was like sir or captain. Like, every sentence towards the late once they start getting tired of writing the shows, (laughs) it became its own crutch and here they're just doing it now with first names and I don't know, but that's not my worst truck joke. I have, um, everyone can cite the exact regulation. Like there's nothing wrong with knowing the rules, but like chapter and verse that was like weird, but also like a weird sort of like, these are professionals, but I don't know, they never had any sort of there was no weight behind them knowing the rules. It was like a very surfacey look at how invested or on top of their game they are, but it didn't motivate them. Like you couldn't tell that it was something that was driving their behavior. It was just a an affectation. But I just I did think it was funny though that everyone knew chapter and verse. Like you could just dial up a a regulation and they could, they knew it like April knew it on the stand. And, uh, and that's not her witness. So she didn't like rehearse him. You know what I mean? Like Uh they didn't go through the testimony beforehand, but it was funny that except for captain Battelle, because she gets that stupid book. I, the book is the the book is their court martial homage, but the Starfleet uniform code of conduct that Laon brings to um, that brings to Nira is an actual literal book. Which is Mm -hmm. absurd. It's so silly. It's unnecessary. (laughs) But she puts it down in front of Battelle because Battelle doesn't know that regulation. So it was just funny that she was the one that... that, well, Probably because she's not a lawyer. And for some reason, she is in this episode. (laughs) Um, I have a couple more.
1: but Yeah, um, I I put... So, perhaps unfairly, I did not like the fake epithets, the augment and moddy. I felt like they could have come up with something better, but
0: so this, this is, is like, a personal gripe. is this like when uh gary mitchell called that woman a nova the, the, oh yeah like come the, on you're saying it's in that realm of like yeah i think it's tricky we this was what we struggled with when we were trying to think, think of other insults that they could do but you i would leave... love to
1: see the rejected ones oh <laughs> uh, yeah you can't say that that
0: sounds too real Well, so there is like a degree of specificity that I think is lacking in this episode. We get a lot of like, it's a cultural heritage. Some people can, some people can hide their mods better than others. And it's like, I don't know. Everyone looks perfectly normal. Uh You know what I mean? Like Captain Pike has to go to the planet that only the Illyrians can survive in. They all just look like people with maybe some exotic makeup. And then when Nira comes to earth she doesn't have to like modify herself to deal with the atmosphere there. Maybe they just forgot or they just think like, "Oh, you can just exist anywhere with no changes." Yeah. The other honorable mention, real quick. Something to keep in mind as the season goes along. Spock is a joke. He's just something it's just something to watch, but in the first two episodes of the season, he is there strictly for comic relief. He is a punchline, mm. which in this case, I think it was great both moments but we had the go to warp catchphrase in the first episode. And in this one, I'm sorry, you had to see that, which was great. I mean, that was a great moment. I I thought it was fantastic. Uh, And then Uh, Gilbert and Sullivan, like her, her dignity is on the line and instead he decides to crack wise as like a, as a schmuck. Well,
1: it is quite a revelation. (laughs) I wouldn't want that to be revealed in open court about me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've, I've won, not so much a trope, but I didn't know where else to put it. But putting Mbanga on the stand—that is risky because who knows what kind of crimes he's actually committed?
0: That's right. That's right.
1: I was like, "Ooh, this is gonna go sideways." But
0: I mean, if if you're Pasalk and Captain Patel, and you're you're big in the gotchas, what happened mm-hmm. to your daughter? Would have been a great question to ask. Yeah. <laughs> um that's a good point i had i had thought about that too when it was like they're really putting Mabenga on the stand yeah. Jeez. <laughs> okay <laughs> of all the people you get to speak for you most of its time quality they're all friends uh i have to admit that even though i don't watch shit like Grey's anatomy or like you know a lot of the very popular stuff i get it that that is what at the heart of most tv that's what we're all watching them they're like an extended family or it's a parasocial relationship and the cast they all wind up being very close not the cast the characters the cast can hate each other but on screen it looks like they're all into each other Mm -hmm. Uh, but i think for some reason it's like they've gone too. discovery does this too but they've gone way too hard into that to the like to the ignoring of like any sort of chain of command or any, they're all at the same level. So no one's like worked, they all have the same experience level. They all talk the same. They all interact the same. It's sort of a very broad and kind of a small, schmaltzy way of everyone dealing with each other. I don't know. It just, that just seemed like more, most of its time, the first names thrown around. Also to the extent that they missed a key point of drama. You have a character coming out as being a mod, like a modded person. And I guess because of Laon, they are trying to suggest that the crew is okay with augmented people, but they kind of sidestep. Laon got mad, right? That was the scene that you mentioned mm-hmm. with Nira. Laon's like, I got mad when she told me because I was her friend and she never told me that. And, you know, being lied to or, you know, having something important like that where they could connect being withheld. That was one element. I'm like, that's a legitimate emotion. I could, that makes sense. I guess my point is, is like you avoid all conflict. If like, what if your first officer, like it's one thing for Laon Singh, you know, the story, she didn't have any choice, you know, the Gorn planet that's tough, but Una, the one who rides her ass all the time, the one that rips <laughs> the crew, she's been hiding, harboring a secret And remember in the season finale last year, we had Ortegas being the, the racist, or suspicious yeah. of, of Vulcan Spock, you could have had a situation where someone's prejudices, and maybe they're like saying like, I can't believe I feel this way. But like my fit, what was missing from this episode was like, it should have been about someone being really pissed off because their family was directly impacted by these eugenics wars.
1: Yeah. So I put a plea deal. Um, it's very law and order of them at the beginning to be talking about a plea deal. Um, and also, um when Captain Pike goes to find Nera, he she has an unhelpful assistant, and also I put the crew watching the whole trial on TV because they can't film them all at once.
0: <laughs> That's true. Uh, some Star Trek Six VI vibes, but also it makes you wonder, like when, why, why weren't they on the bridge for any of this? So the bridge set must not have been available for some reason, or we're not up yet. Because um, it would have made more sense for her to step out into the bridge at the end, Una, when she's been cleared and reinstated. Like, yeah, said <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with the plea deal thing, especially the lines like this is a good deal. And I'm like, am I watching the newsroom? Is this like Aaron Sorkin trying to write like a lawyer scene or something? <laughs> What's going on? Also, her ineffectual uh, counsel, her Canadian day player guy. The the feckless, obnoxious, withering, paper thin legal defense trope too is tiresome. It it did bring up a thing that I put as like a of its time that I liked was the idea that she just called attention to like, well, how can he counsel me when he works for you? And I'm like, so that is so it is like an HR. <laughs> like hearing instead that they're they really minimized it down into something they can understand the writers oh this is like an hr process you lied on your resume we have to explore yeah <laughs> it turns out you can't speak french <laughs> uh, pike says how's that working out for you yeah, that's a very modern rejoinder which mm. is not really the gotcha that people think it is but i guess for tv it still works i guess uh, do you have any more? I have one more that I, I it's more of a question. No, yeah. Okay. My, na- my next question is I don't know if it's most of its time so much as Is Una stupid? <laughs> <laughs> I know she's not supposed to be, but there is something about a victim being really stupid, uh, someone on trial. And it, here's a couple of examples. So we know Una at the end that she turns herself in, and she knows that she turned herself in. And she knows the risks of that. And Mm -hmm. so she gets the plea deal, which she's told is a good deal. It's a dishonorable dismissal. And uh, Battelle explains, no exile. You'll still be a free Federation citizen. Starfleet is willing to seal your records and look the other way. And then she says they want to cover their mistake. And And it's like... What? What you're making this like they think you're a mistake? No, it's pretty clear why they're doing that. So she says mm-hmm. that and then after the two count after the two year plea deal goes away and Pasalt comes in and they up it to 20 years in a penal colony. <laughs> in the next scene Una comes back and says, "20 years for lying on an application? That's not what you did." Yeah. <laughs> It's so weird that she has like this indignant reaction. Like, are you you have like selective amnesia? You're just forgetting from moment to moment what happened. You
1: didn't think they'd be pissed off
0: about this. It's like it's the show swapping out reality for momentary conflict or drama, melodrama. They do it with like. You'll be, a, you won't be in exile. You'll just be in prison. And like, was well, it exile or prison? Is she a Federation citizen or not? Because exile means something different from citizen. And it's like, they just keep changing up to keep it as dramatic as possible. Then <laughs> this is the last one. So there is a rule of three. <laughs> so after April, it gets embarrassed on the stand. Una confronts Nira in her cell. And she's like, what was that all about? All oh, you, are, uh, and she's like, I needed to, this is a platform, you know, and I had to use what I had. And then Una says, all you ever wanted here was a soapbox. This isn't about defending me. This is just a way for you to broadcast your hatred for the, of the Federation. I thought you were here to help me, but you're not. As long as you can make the Federation look bad, then who the hell cares if I get left behind in the process? In their first scene together, Nira says, I'm not doing this for you. I'm yeah. doing this for me. And for all the Illyrians who can't or just won't pretend to be who they really are. So what did you expect? <laughs> yeah it's so dumb anyway i guess it's my fault for paying too close attention i should really be folding laundry when this is on <laughs> um and then also ortega seeing two men together and calling them bros so <laughs> she just he automatically seems look at them two vulcan bros broing out uh-huh. um yeah okay <laughs> now it's time for the line must be drawn here great lines
1: um, when Pike is talking to I cannot remember her name, his ex girlfriend or whomever, the, the lawyer, Captain Patel, yeah, Captain Patel. Okay. Um, he's talking about giving a commencement address or something, and then she was like, "That must have been awful. I know how you hate making long, inspiring speeches."
0: That's exactly what I had. Got him. <laughs> Got him. She really did. <laughs> she read him.
1: Yeah. And then also the, I agree, You had to witness that outburst
0: from spark. <laughs> it's a great scene that could have existed in the original series. Yeah. I, and then the other line I had was. Una saying when I was five or six, I remember a Starfleet crew visited. They were all so different from one another. So many crew members from so many planets. It was beautiful. I thought if all those people from all those worlds can work together side by side, maybe I could too. I am not doing it justice I think it's a beautiful moment and it's just a, you know, we were watching star Trek and here's someone saying like star Trek visited me when I was a kid and I wanted to become a part of it. And I thought yeah. that was beautiful. I thought it was great. Uh, And she, and she performed it well. Uh, the Anton Kurian award for best performance. I mean, Yatita Badaki, right? As yes. Told. That is
1: who I put down.
0: Um, I think hands down, it's her. She's
1: a great performer. Um, yeah. I mean, even though like, some of the material she's given is very, like, you know, Star Trek when it's trying to have gravitas, but that's okay. I'm, I'm gonna forgive that.
0: An absolutely incredible performance on what I think is a flimsy, boring, and somewhat obnoxious character. Mm-hmm. So I really think. But I'd watch her. I'd watch this actress in a her own
1: legal show for sure.
0: Absolutely. I mean. You I'm sure you've heard this, you know, uh, uh, a great script can't save bad acting, but great acting can save a bad script.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I wa- <laughs> I watch soap operas. So, yes, I'm aware.
0: <laughs> I mean, if people want to say this is one of the best performances in Star Trek of the century, maybe the best. I would entertain that argument. There's something to be said here. Mm hmm. It's like, I have a job to do, and I'm going to do it. And when she has to soften, which is when Una reveals we had to run and we had to leave people behind, and that includes you, and I'm sorry. I believe that she forgave her in that moment. I didn't need Uh her to say it. I could see it. Uh, And then all the times where she could get really histrionic, you know, really big. But Go back to my Boston legal experience. Whenever you get new lawyers coming into the cast, new actors becoming, you know, in the cast being lawyers, they would get really nervous about giving their first closing or opening statement. And sometimes they would have to do the ones where they're pointing and saying, you know, like Patrick Stewart, well, there it sits, you know, like making (laughs) grand proclamations in court and watching them try to attenuate it, but also being terrified of being too big, but also trying to like convey the power, having the gravitas, like, many actors it wasn't like i saw many try and fail just that it's it's scary it's really hard to do and this is not a show that does courtroom dramas every week right so you don't have like a, a mechanism in there that can or like there's no bumper lane that can tell you like too much turn it down here you've just got to kind of trust that everyone is just going with their gut a little bit here and I mean, I don't know what direction she got, but there just didn't seem like anything that she did that would suggest that there was some trial and error going on, that she was unsure of anything she had to do. The only thing I caught, Kristen, was one mark check. And I couldn't believe I caught it. I couldn't believe I caught it. It was so, she's so good at everything she's doing, but she's not like, I'm so, there's never a moment where she feels phony or like forced. And you can see it with some actors who get a lot of accolades, like they're acting she's obviously acting but she, her character is the same from beginning to end it's just it was an amazing performance also her
1: outfits it. are really good and we don't often see like what a fashionable person would wear in the world of star trek so i enjoyed yes. that
0: i think her the part that on on that continuum spectrum that bumped for me was just her office like the century <laughs> city law firm yeah. kind of look that she had going. But yes, her, yeah, she was great. Her haircut was really interesting too. I thought uh, the way it was cut, the the angle of it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, all of it projected that character. It was just great. Marvelous. Just wonderful. It, like it makes me happy to even think about it after the fact. And while you're watching it, even, uh, I was just very happy. The Shatner. I have three. There, it's okay, a three-way right, tie. Right. It's a car pile up. Okay. I'll, I'll work from the bottom up. Nikki Guadani as Fleet Admiral Javis. That's the main oh, okay. woman, the main old lady talking. There uh-huh. were rules, and maybe they're too harsh or whatever she's saying. But they're speaking as though they're in like uh, like Stardust, or they're in like uh, some like fantasy realm <laughs> instead of uh, Star Trek. Yeah, like a, like a Lord of
1: the Rings yes. elf situation. Yeah, yeah. And that okay. goes
0: to Graham Somerville as Vice Admiral Pasalk where he's yes. like Una Chin Riley. I got him. I got him right here. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, Captain basically Tide. all the judges yes. were just. Well, the yeah, they were like Admiral. April, trial yes. And then the main one, the leader of the pack, but it is a pack basically, except for <laughs> y- Yatita Badaki, the rest of the guest cast. Well, I'll accept Admiral April a little bit. Um, Melanie Scrofano as Captain Patel. Objection! <laughs> she is going for it. She is going for it super hard, uh, and I think that's tough. She she played Winona Earp, and now she's being constrained to being a courtroom drama. Like it's not not her genre she's like i signed up for a space show why am i a space now? so (laughs)
1: basically
0: (laughs) she had good moments i thought but when there are moments where she had to really go for it and and she and registered on the shatner scale i feel like (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: i i agree i think i think that whole set they had some some issues of like some some just going for it a little too much i think
0: Maybe that's set because it's like the Ghosts of Discovery. The Discovery vibes yeah. on that. Oh, yeah. They're, they're like, like, well, well everyone, I'm going to really channel t- some Discovery here. <laughs> uh, what part of this will they teach
1: at Starfleet Academy? Um, the Illyrians and the Ferengi are the scum of the
0: Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. That is what we've learned. I wonder if there's just like uh, you know, like although it's not
1: technically illegal to be Ferengi, but (laughs) not yet. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure they like
0: regulated them out of existence in some way. I mean, I guess we should. We didn't really examine this whole eugenics anti eugenics policy that the Federation has. In terms of, I mean, I don't know, maybe other episodes, it's a better place for it. It is weird. There's no question about it. And the fact that that doesn't get interrogated in the episode, because I guess, what, uh, we can't mess with canon. But it seems like this would have been a perfect episode for having actual Federation people, characters talk about Mm -hmm. it. I mean, it really was nira just throwing haymakers at the federation saying you pieces of shit you hypocrites you and it's like she's right but it seems like why doesn't that in cause interrogation from any of the other characters it's really strange i I wonder if there's like spelling bees in starfleet academy but for regulations you know like you have to um, yeah
1: there's i think just like anywhere else you you have to take a test and you have to know what the regulations are
0: Knowing the numbers, I mean, that's a pretty yeah. hefty. Vol- all right, all the codes, all right. Well, especially like an admiral, when did you expect you know, an never, to know? It? I've never memorized the rule book, which probably explains a lot in my okay. life, but maybe that's what it is. So I don't know. Like, we've well, never had sections. to, yeah. But I mean, like, I love Major League Baseball, I haven't memorized a rule book and know all the codes, oh, I mean, or like the sections and the numbers. So I don't know, wow, well, okay. Uh, but also just so Starfleet's uniform code, I assume that gets taught at the academy. But also, it's kind of like Jesus Christ and the Ten Commandments. Don't turn off the podcast, folks. So this is the Ten Commandments. But very famously in the New Testament, Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. So it's like, that's not one of the ten, but that's basically what that's all getting at. And it's kind of the same with the uniform code. Captain Picard, 100 years after this episode, will tell Cadet Wesley Crusher, who is on trial because a member of his flight team died in an accident. He will say the first duty of every Starfleet officer is to the truth, whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth. It is a guiding principle on which Starfleet is based. I think on that level, that's where Una doesn't really have to, doesn't actually confront anything that she was lying. I mean, she says, I don't want to live a lie, but I think the idea of like reaffirming that telling the truth, was maybe one little element that the episode was missing, but would definitely be taught in Star Trek, I think. Star, in Starfleet Academy, I think. Could this episode have been hornier? and Would that have made it better?
1: I mean, yeah, there was no horniness really to it, so I guess it could have been.
0: So It's like a weird, you know, riding around Anson Mount's availability, so he's shooting probably all of the sh- scenes together, but Pike and Battelle are f***ing, right?
1: Well, they were. I don't know if they still are.
0: I mean, we'll find out later in the season that they're still together. They're trying to vacation, but this felt a bit more like a work husband, work wife situation. It didn't really feel like they were people that were trying to hide a relationship. That would have been a pretty interesting dynamic. It's like, well, you know, Una's not the only one hiding stuff. You know, Starfleet officers hide things all the time. (laughs) You know, it's like, uh, you know, that's... Are you or are you not (laughs) f***ing this man?
1: (laughs) Who, as you can see, has gotten a haircut since last season. (laughs)
0: All right, trek Mary or kill at Astra Perespera. Uh, so I think I'm going to trek it because um, it's a pretty good
1: uh, Strange New Worlds episode.
0: Yeah, so I debated whether or not it was a Mary based on that scale, but I think oh. we've been pretty. I, well, I think we've been holding pretty firm on no. <laughs> we're gonna, yeah, like, no. You, we're gonna, compared to like the other Star Treks as well, yeah. I would say this is a pretty great episode of strange new worlds mm-hmm. but i still gave it a barely a trek because for oh. me it's those three it's the three scenes three and a half If you want to count count the april scene that you the one that you mentioned those three scenes really worked for me and i really think that guest performance is incredible that you at least have to watch the episode right it's mm-hmm. it's an amazing performance but yeah it's, yeah it's
1: good i wouldn't say skip it so
0: yeah no. it's a trek I just think like a lot of the conflict in there, except for what the solve is, the loophole, there's nothing really all that interesting. Like all the parallels are very obvious. There's nothing all that interesting. It's just very well done, all the same. I really think they should have had on the opposing side someone who was like a human being, not a Vulcan, and who was saying, My family was massacred by a bunch of crazy modified people, you know what I mean? Like yeah. my bloodline was wiped out, whatever. And it's like, no, they, they just avoid all that. So then it just stays in the realm of this kind of esoteric or abstract argument about that more relates to the real world as opposed to the Star Trek world. So I think that was kind of a miss that didn't help it elevate it into classic classical el- television, like Measure of a Man. That's about an Android saying, I don't want to be stripped apart. But then there's also elements of slavery and also in friendship and like all that stuff comes out from a very specific thing. So all that said, good job. And I I hope they figure out a way to get Yatita Badaki back in the show somehow. Mm -hmm. Or she gets her own show. Or she gets her own show. That'd be great. I'll watch that. Yeah. Next time it's Chief O'Brien being on trial in the Cardassian court where you're guilty until proven innocent. It's Tribunal from season two of Deep Space Nine. Don't forget to vote on our poll for Deep Space Nine's "Take Me Out to the Hall of Suite." My guest and I, we could not come to an agreement there. That's the baseball episode of Deep Space Nine. So give that a listen. You can vote for it in your Spotify app or at TrekMaryKillPod.com, which is also where we have all of our standings. You can see how many Treks, Marys, and kills we've given out for Strange New Worlds uh, and for all the other shows. Thanks for listening, and until next week, TMK out. Bye.